We're going to do the very last message in this series of Upside Down Kingdom. Again, if you're new tonight, realize this is about the 12th or 13th message in a series. Um, So it's appropriate to ask, what's your response? What's your reaction to the past 13 weeks of hearing this then? This is a parable. If you want to stand up, we'll read it. This is the word of God, the word of Jesus. And he says in Matthew 13, he's talking to uh, the crowds. This is what he says. That same day, Jesus went out of his house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. That was kind of like a makeshift amphitheater. The only way that he could kind of get out where people would see him is he goes out in the boat a little way off the shore and and, uh, and teaches to them. The whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables or stories saying, Here's a story. A sower went out to sow seed, and as he sowed, some of his seeds fell along a path, a hardened path, and the birds came and devoured the seeds. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil, and so immediately they grew, they sprouted up, but because they didn't have any depth of soil when the sun came out, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered. Other seeds fell among the thorns or the weeds, and the thorns grew up and they choked them. They choked them out. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then Jesus comes back to this a few minutes later and he explains the story. Here then, this is the explanation of the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, which we've been talking about 13 weeks in a row now, and does not understand it, the evil one or the devil comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This was the seed that was sown along the path. As for the seed that was sown on the rocky ground, this is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he or she has no root in themselves, and so they endure for a little while. But when tribulation or persecution or life happens on account of the word, immediately they fall away. As for the seed that was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. Let's pray together. Jesus, we pray the obvious prayer after reading this passage. Let us hear. Let us hear down to our hearts. Remove the thorns, remove the rocks, remove the hard soil. We pray this in your name. Amen. You can take a seat. Thanks. So I want to jump right into this again for the sake of time. Jesus is sharing this parable with his disciples for two reasons. One of them is practical and it's kind of a ministry reason. For these 12 disciples who are following Jesus, every time he teaches, they're sitting there with him, watching him. He's talking to all the crowds. And uh, this is a couple of years into Jesus' teaching ministry, and they've started to wonder why some people respond to the gospel or the, the word of God differently than other people. For instance, why do some people hear Jesus teach and call them to repent and say that, you know, I'll forgive your sins, come to me? Why do some people hear that and they're cut to the core? 
They leave their old life behind. They follow Jesus. They cling to him and they become new people. And yet the the very next person right next to them rejects it immediately and says, this guy's an idiot and goes about their life. And then another person seems to jive with what Jesus is saying for a couple of months or a couple of years, but then there ends up a day where they're like, I don't believe anymore. I don't, I just, that was a phase. That was a fad. I don't, it's not really, it's not really who I am anymore. I don't believe this stuff anymore. Jesus is explaining to his disciples why that happens. Because the the question that would come into their mind is, is there a problem with the seed? Is there a problem with Jesus? Is there a problem with the gospel? Is it impotent? Is it ineffective? Does does Jesus only have like a 25% success rate? Three out of four soils don't produce fruit. Jesus is explaining to them, no, the seed isn't the problem. The message of the kingdom is not the problem. The power of the king or the power of Jesus isn't the issue. It's the condition of the heart of the people who hear. That is what explains the difference of why person A responds this way, B this way, C this way, and D that way. That was very helpful information for his disciples wondering, is he just not able to do what he says he's able to do? Or is something else going on? So that's the first reason Jesus shares this parable, is just to help us make sense of why some of your friends... You might bring them to RUF or church, or maybe you, you're wondering, why do some of my friends believe it? Then my mom or my dad just laughs at me all the time, says it's a bunch of crap. And then why does that friend, like in high school, they were all about this stuff, and now they hate Christians, they hate church, they just roll their eyes at the thought of God. Jesus is giving an explanation for that. But the other reason isn't, the other reason's different. If the first reason was about why do other people respond that way, the second reason he shares this parable is why do you, disciples, followers of Jesus, respond the way you do? The first, other people's response. The second, my response, your response. And when he asks what's going on in your response, he's asking what's going on in your heart. Are you able to listen? Are you able to hear? Think about this. Take a little logical trip here and kind of unpack this. Physically speaking, bodily speaking, a beating heart and breathing lungs or heart function and lung function are the two most crucial elements that give and sustain life, right? That's obvious. You go to the ER, no matter what's wrong with you, an earache or a bone break or you're unconscious, what do they check first? Your heart function and your lung function. Why? Those are the two essential givers and sustainers of life. If those two things are there, life is there. Spiritually speaking, this goes for everybody in the room, no matter where you are, what soil you think your heart is. Spiritually speaking, hearing is the most crucial Element that gives and sustains life. Not a heartbeat, not lung function, but for your soul, for your heart, hearing. Hearing is that crucial, fundamental giver and sustainer of life. And if that is there, you are alive. If that is not there, there's not an ability to hear the word of God, the message of the kingdom, the gospel, whatever word or phrase you want to use for that, then there is no life. Think about it this way. Here's why hearing is that important. It's as important as a heartbeat, as important as lung function. 
Hearing is connected to your heart. Hearing is connected to your heart. Your ears are like the mouth of your soul. If your body didn't have a mouth, it could look at all the food in the world. You could have food. You could be swimming in a pit of food, and it would serve you no purpose. It would have no effect on you. It would not nourish you. It would not give you life, sustain life, or grow you. It would be useless to you because it remained outside of you. Your mouth has to close on that food and ingest it and take it inside of you for that food outside of you to give and sustain life and grow you. It's the same way with hearing and our souls or our hearts. Your ears are the mouth of your soul. How do you get these things? I'm about to define these terms, but the gospel or the good news of Jesus or uh, the message of the kingdom, Jesus calls it here. How do you get something that's outside of you, inside of you? How do you ingest it? Because the same problem is there with food. You can go to church your whole life. You can call yourself a Christian. You can come to RUF every single week. You can read the Bible every single morning. You can have Christian friends. And if all of that stuff remains outside of you and not in your heart, not in your soul, it is useless to you. It is powerless to you. It is meaningless to you. It has no effect on you. It produces no fruit, no growth, no life. Just the way being surrounded by food but not being able to eat it. Being surrounded by the Bible or the gospel or messages like this but not being able to eat it and ingest it so it goes to your heart, the core of your being, the essence of who you are. It has no effect on you. Really quickly, I've been throwing these terms around. Some of you are familiar with them. Some of you, it's an abstraction. It's, what are you talking about? What's the message of the kingdom that Jesus talks about in verse uh, 18, 19, 20 in that area? What's the message of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, the word of God, the gospel? It's this. We talked about it all semester long. It's that God meets you, God meets sinners, God meets dead sinners who are his enemies on their turf and on his terms. What does it mean that he meets you on your turf? It means wherever you find yourself, honestly, is where Jesus meets you now, tonight. Not being hypothetical. Bible says this is literal. Wherever you are, your regret, your shame... Your failed attempts to get better or try harder or connect the dots or understand, that is where Jesus comes with all of his power, all of his mercy, all of his grace. Your coordinates. Which means, if you take away either piece of this, your turf, his terms, you lose the gospel. It's no longer good news, it's horrible news. If Jesus doesn't meet you on his turf, or sorry, your turf, but he demands you meet him on his, that means you have a lifetime of religious, ritual, spiritually jumping through hoops, doing these different things to get to where God is, if you can even find where he is. It leaves you with the life of working your way to God, trying harder, figuring it out. And it means he is there and hasn't budged an inch, and you've got to find your way there. Jesus meets you on your turf, in your predicament, your stuckness, your life. Wherever you are tonight... 
frustrated, confused, broken, guilty, regretful, shameful, feeling like you can't believe that is where you will find Jesus Christ with his mercy and his power and his call to open the door he's knocking on. And he insists you meet him on his terms. So you can't fiddle with that. You you must see that grace meets you where you are. You also can't fiddle with the other part. Grace meets you on its terms, not yours. Which means when God comes to you and offers to make you new and make you his, you're his daughter now, not his enemy. You're his son now, not a stranger to him. You're alive, not dead. You're innocent, good, forever, not guilty and corrupt. When he says that, he's not coming to you with a first offer to negotiate with us. And you say, well, that's a great starting offer, but I'm going to counter offer this. Yeah, okay, I'll take you kind of for the therapeutic high that you give me because kind of like I need you for my emotional stability and to get rid of the anxiety to get through tests, but I don't want you for over here. I still want to keep sleeping with my girlfriend or my boyfriend. I still want to kind of keep hating my mom or my dad. I still want to keep doing my own thing, building my own kingdom. No deal. Because you are coming to God in arrogance, insisting that he dance in your hoops. A tiny little creature who has a start date and an expiration date coming very soon to the almighty, eternal, transcendent, living God and demanding that he dance through your hoops. Your arbitrary hoops, my arbitrary hoops. Of I'll let you do this, but not this. You can have this part of my life, but not this. No, you come to Jesus as a king or you don't come to him at all. You come to him as Lord and sovereign master of everything. Or you don't come to him at all. You come to him on your terms like Nicodemus tried to. And Jesus said, no, it's on your turf but my terms. His terms is mercy. His terms is grace. His terms is don't you try to pay for this. Don't you try to earn this. Don't you try to try harder for this. His terms is mercy. Your turf is your brokenness and your weakness. His terms is grace and mercy that's free of charge. That is what the word of the kingdom is. That's what the gospel is. That's what the Bible teaches from beginning to end. Just so you know the terms I'm using. That is what Jesus is asking. Can you hear what I just said? Can you hear that? The Son of Man came to save sinners, enemies, guilty people. To make them alive free of charge because he gave his life for you. That is what Jesus wants to know if you can hear. And not just hearing like the the, the sound waves are resonating in your ear, but hearing in your heart. Can your mouth, can your heart close on that and ingest it so that it nourishes you and gives life and feeds you and grows you and bears fruit? Hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. If it doesn't get inside of you, if what I just said remains outside of you and it doesn't get in you, then it will ne- the word of God, the Bible will never convict you. It will never illumine you or turn the lights back on about yourself and the world and life and God. You'll be groping around in the dark. It will never change you or redirect you or encourage you. Just like food that remains outside of you, the gospel outside of you, the word of God outside of you will never do those things. And so that will be your experience. The Bible will be dull. It will be irrelevant. It will be inapplicable to you. Or it doesn't apply to me. Or this doesn't make sense. It's antiquated. 
The real reason why we think those things and feel those things is not because the Bible is antiquated and irrelevant. It's because we can't even hear it. We can't ingest it. We experience it from a distance far away. Here, let's go to the second part. This is the second piece of that logical journey. So first piece, your ears are the mouth of your soul. Jesus wants to know if you've been listening, if you're able to listen with your heart. But did you know that the condition of your heart, the condition of your heart affects your ability to hear? Think about this. My job, so I do this, and then pretty much every other hour of the week, I meet up with y'all. We hang out. We do whatever. We talk about life, answer questions. We pray for each other. We go through hard stuff together. We talk. So my job is pretty much listening most of the week. The condition of my mind affects my ability to listen to y'all. This is a parallel. Remember I just said the condition of your heart affects your ability to listen to Jesus and hear him on the inside. The condition of my mind affects my ability to hear y'all and to listen to you. So when I sit down with you from time to time and I'm stressed or I'm distracted or I'm anxious or I'm thinking about the conversation I just came out of or the one I'm about to go into, my mind isn't there in the moment. So I'm listening to you. I hear the sound waves. It's bouncing around in my ear. I mean, I know English. I hear what you're saying, but not in an inside kind of way. It, it, it kind of bounces right off of me. And, and this is where I have to say, wait, can you say that again or... or what do you mean by that? Or, I'm sorry, I'm distracted. What... Sometimes the condition of my mind is like this. I hear your words and they sink in. But maybe we don't know each other that well yet. I don't know your whole story or your past. And so the, your words got in my ears and I understand them. But they haven't affected me. And if you've had this experience with me or anybody else, you're like, he's following, but he but he doesn't, the dots aren't connecting. I can tell the dots aren't connecting. Like, he's not with me in this yet. Third condition of my mind that affects my ability to hear you guys is sometimes I hear what you're saying, it sinks into me, and it goes straight to my heart. Maybe we've experienced similar things, or I went through the, something kind of similar to that, or maybe you're just really good at describing that, and I hear what you're saying, and I feel what you're feeling. It's gone all the way to my heart. And you and I are with each other in that moment. We're in it together. I can finish your sentences. You can finish my sentences. We get each other. We're resonating. The condition of my mind, where my mind is, determines if and how well I'm able to hear you. The condition of your heart right now is what's determining your ability to hear what I'm saying. And it's the reason why for some of you it's getting through and for some of you it's bouncing off. It's the condition of your heart. Which means one of the biggest questions this passage or Jesus himself right now puts in front of you is what's going on in your heart? What is happening in your heart tonight? What has been happening? What's been going on in your heart the past couple of weeks or months or years? Jesus wants to know because you need to know. Jesus wants to know because I want to, he, I need to know. 
He shares these four metaphors. They're, thankfully, he's explained what they mean to us or else we'd be left to grope in the dark and make up stuff. Jesus talks about four conditions of the heart. The first, he says, is the hard heart. This is the heart that, uh, he says in verse uh, 19, when someone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes, takes it away, what was sown in his heart. It's, it's, it's like, a, it's like um, if I threw seed on that concrete out there, there's no potential for that seed to take root because this person's heart is hard. How do we harden our heart? How do we tolerate a hard heart? How do we contentedly live with a hard heart and just go about our way with it? without crying out for it to be broken. We're content with just logically understanding these messages and things like that. Man, I I understand what Ben was doing, but it's never impacted you. People with hard hearts, or when we, if you're a Christian, when you have a hard heart, it's in those seasons or days or moments where there is no conviction of your sin. There's no softness there. There's, There's no sense of the Bible reaching in and jostling your heart and your desires and your affections. There's no sharp-edged sense that the Bible gets me and it it x-rays me and exposes me and convicts me. There's no real personal sense that this is my book. This is, of all the books, of all the places, this one gets me. That's the hard-hearted person. There's an immediate ricochet. And so uh, if this is where your heart is, what life would feel like for you is you might still go to church or come to RUF, but it's not. The reasons you might come are very different. It might be because you like the people or you like the community or you like B-dubs, you just like being spiritual or whatever else. And all of us feel this from time to time, the reasons we come, but the hard-hearted person that ricochets off. Do you mind turning the air or making it less cold? I'm seeing a lot of sweatshirts go on. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that's the hard-hearted person. The next soil that he talks about is, by the way, these are con- these, we are responsible for these conditions of our heart. This isn't, man, I was born with a hard heart. I guess I can't believe sucks that God gave me a hard heart. Jesus is talking about the conditions of heart that we have fostered, tolerated, built, contributed to. The second soil that he talks about is, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, verse 20, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yes, it's awesome. Yet he has no root. So he endures for a little while. The sun comes out. It dies. I call this not the hard heart of the first soil, but the emotional heart or the passionate heart. This is where the Bible, the gospel, Jesus, God, whatever, is... Kind of that, that needle full of heroin for you. He's the emotional fix. He's the thrill. He's the emotional antidote. So each Tuesday night or each Sunday morning or each conference doesn't become about being with the one who loved you and gave, you, gave himself for you and is now making you new. It's about, man, I got, I'm, my emotional tank's right here. I've got to come to you have to kind of get a boost back up. Okay, I'll go back to my life and I'll come back. I'll come back to Jesus for little fixes like he's my dealer. There's no interest in him for him. And so the Bible for this person has a very superficial relationship, or they have a very superficial relationship. You go to Bible studies to get a verse. If you're anxious, you get a verse for anxiety. If you're mad, you get a verse for that. If you're having trouble forgiving someone, you get a verse for forgiveness. But there's no sense of the rescue story of God coming to save you from yourself and from your death. 
You use God. You use Jesus. You don't know him. You don't love him. You manipulate him. You use him. And when life gets hard, which it does after about 24 hours, it goes away. And you go back to the things you were using Jesus to get. I say you, me, we. Can we say we? I'm in this, all this. We go back to those things we love. Tim Keller says, the sun in this parable kills the stuff we love. The stuff that we were going to Jesus to get. The person with the superficial or shallow heart uses Jesus, doesn't love Jesus, doesn't know Jesus. It's not being made new. The word never gets in you because you're not interested in the word getting in you. You're interested in a little therapeutic pill to take back into your little world. The divided heart after that, he says, the cares of the world choke out the life of this seed that did grow and it seemed to grow for a while. When he talks about the cares of the world or deceitfulness of riches, he's talking about legitimate concerns, just the urgencies of life, right? If you've been in college more than two days, you know there's urgencies that come up, finals, midterms, job search, getting your resume together, you're in a relationship now, you don't have as much time, you're on a team or whatever. The urgencies of life, of this world, the deceitfulness of the tiny little kingdoms in this world slowly suffocate you like a carbon monoxide leak, not like getting strangled. You just get sleepier and sleepier with God, with the church, with Christian community, and you eventually fade away. You never make a decision, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. You just don't feel like any of this is true anymore. Just one day you wake up and you're like, I've got to be honest with myself. I've drifted to a place where this just doesn't seem real anymore. Jesus says that chokes it out. The fourth soil is soft soil. It's like a few weeks ago we talked about the slow and steady rain where the soil absorbs the water. The soft heart is the heart with a mouth that can eat and ingest, which means a soul and a heart that can grow and bear fruit. That's the soft heart. Now, as I speak... I've never heard a sermon on this, and I've never read a book about this passage where the the preacher or the author didn't pause to say, this passage undid me. Is this not very uncomfortable stuff to hear? Please nod your head yes. If you're not unsettled right now, God have mercy. You're not paying attention. You're not even hearing the words coming out of my mouth if you're not unsettled by this stuff. This is not just Jesus describing the people out there. This is Jesus describing even his disciples' hearts. This is a diagnostic grenade that he pulls the pin out of and sets in our hands. Again, not because he doesn't know what's in our heart, but because you don't know what's in your heart. And I don't know because we're deceived. The question is, hang with me. We're almost done. The question is this. What's going on in your heart? Are you listening? Are you able to hear and ingest the gospel in a way that brings life to you where death once was? Let me close um, with two things. Let me close with a quick observation I've made over the past five years here, and then we need to talk about the gospel. 
So as we mentioned, as we uh, have about a month and a half left here before we leave, I've gotten retrospective and looking back over the past almost five years, nine semesters, hundreds of students coming in and going. And I've been super encouraged when I think about a lot of the people who were this hard seed when they showed up at RUF. Nothing got through. So you meet up with some of these people, and I won't mention their names, but a lot of you know them. You meet up with them, and you have the conversations, and they're like, nothing got through. And then one day, Jesus (coughs) broke their heart, crushed the hardness, invaded them, and they're new, and they're alive. And years and years later, they're thriving and growing and bearing fruit. And tragically, we've seen people every year, and you know some of them, who've been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. They hate Christian community now. They think the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Newsflash, yeah, it's full of people like us. But they've left that. They've left Jesus. They're cynical. They're bitter. They're hard-hearted about it all. Those people have sat in these chairs before. The seed was choked out. The sun killed it. But of those of us who I, I would say are, are, are persevering and enduring, myself included, please hear that, myself included, I've noticed this. Let me get really practical. Not as a criticism, not as a guilt trip, as an observation. Over the past nine semesters of people who've sat in your chairs, this is the question I have. It's a nagging conviction that I have when I look back. So let's get real. Let's be honest and humble about ourselves. With the amazing fruit, with the cool stuff that's happened, I also, I wonder this, this bothers me. In five years, I can count on one hand the amount of times at B-dubs or Denny's or Village Inn or wherever we went that anybody, me included, has brought up the content of the sermon that we've all just come to hear. In five years, I can count on the other hand probably three fingers the amount of questions I've heard about the content of the gospel. That really bothers me. And I hope it really bothers you. I don't assume that I I totally get it. More is going on than I'm able to see. I get it. But does that bother you? Does that strike you as odd that 40 Christians would be together with their friends and nobody was convicted by something, had a question about something, had never heard something put that way before? or it had the lights come on, that should disturb you. We should look in the mirror tonight and say, what's happening inside of me? Small groups here have been a conundrum. If you've ever led a small group, you know. And again, if you're new to RUF, you can ask the person you left or right, this isn't a guilt trip. I love you. This isn't a criticism, and I'm talking about myself too. But I, let's actually get something from this passage and not just be like, oh, great, I'll go. Jesus uh, saves me. I'm awesome. For five years, we've tried, we've changed every different variable. We've had different kinds of leaders, different pairings of leaders, different personalities of leaders. We've done lunchtime groups, nighttime groups, groups off campus, groups on campus, groups with this cool topic or this book of the Bible or this format or that format. We've tried everything. We've had semesters where we had promotional videos and Instagram posts, and every week people were up here talking about Bible studies where you get together with your brothers and your sisters, your friends, and you wrestle with the Bible and it wrestles with you. And it's hard to get more than 20 people total of all of our Bible studies ever in a room in a week. That 
bothers me a lot. And I know more is going on than meets the eye. But what does it say about our valuing of the power of the word of Jesus Christ to make you new and redirect you and reanimate you and change you? That everything on our list is a sexier priority or a more urgent priority. Again, no guilt trip. It's an observation. And I don't have all the answers to it. I'm just saying, have you ever realized this? Does it bother you? I really, really think it should. We've got to go and ask the question, what in the world is going on in my heart? What's the condition of my heart? Because the condition of your heart determines your ability to hear. And your ability to hear determines whether or not you're able to ingest Jesus himself. Life. Tim Keller, I owe a thanks for seeing the gospel so clearly in this passage. And this is where the news gets good because I feel like every last excuse I have has been taken away. And maybe you do too. It's very convicting. Can the soil, is it the soil's, in the soil's power? Or in the soil, is it the soil's responsibility to weed itself, to plow itself? Soil can't do that. Soil can't say, wow, I got a lot of thorns in me. I'm going to weed all these thorns out and prune back the hedges. Soil can't get a plow and break up the hard spots. Soil can't open up the light so it can grow again. The farmer has to do it. The sower, the gardener has to do it. In this parable, Jesus is obviously the sower. Very clearly, he's the one who sows the seed of his good news, his gospel. For thorn-infested, rock-infested, hard-hearted, cold-hearted people like us. If you're not a Christian, do you know that there is a gardener you can call out to tonight? Why, Terry? Why wait? Why punt? You can call out to this gardener tonight and say, Break my hard heart and dig out the weeds and take out the rocks. And he will hear that with such tender mercy and delight. If you're a Christian and your heart has been hard as a rock for months or years, nothing's getting in. No conviction, no encouragement, no correction, no rebuke, no instruction. Do you know you get to tell Jesus the gardener, there is so many rocks in this soil, nothing can grow. And he will roll up his sleeves and bend down and start taking those rocks out so that you bear fruit. He is for you, not against you. He came to change your heart and put a new heart in you. That's the good news. But don't skip ahead to the good news before you've gone through the conviction of what we talked about early. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, do what we ask you to do. Help us here. Break the hardness. Dig out the rocks. Replow the soil of our hearts. I pray that you would bring repentance, not guilt-driven repentance. Please, not that. That no one would hear what I've said and feel beaten down by it or criticized by it. But would we, would you convict us on the inside of why there might be some reason or other why this stuff isn't on our minds the way you would expect that it would be. I pray that we would help each other, brother and sister, to reorient ourselves and to plot a new course forward from this day forward. 
We ask that you would help us and do this because you love saving sinners and changing hearts. Amen.